Alright guys, welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is... Creogs Over, over coffee. coffee. Today we welcome back with us again in collaboration with the SMFM Thrive Initiative, Michael Foley. Today we're going to talk about disability insurance. So welcome back, Mike. Hi, right, thanks for having me again, guys. Yeah, so on today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the statistics of becoming disabled as a physician, um, hence, you know, our disability insurance discussion. We're going to talk about how to shop um, different coverages, when to get it and how much, and what to do before you apply. And as a reminder, um, we do want to make sure that we have a compliance statement in here. Just before we get started, uh, Mike is a comprehensive financial advisor who runs his practice out of Scottsdale, Arizona, under North's our resource group. Michael was trained at Duke University and holds a certified financial planner designation alongside his certified student loan professional designation. And although Michael serves a diverse group of clients um, with their financial and student loan needs with two physician parents, Michael has found a specialty in working with those in the healthcare space. North Star Resource Group is independently owned and operated and is located at 6720 North Scottsdale Road, Suite 290, Scottsdale, Arizona, zip code 85253. Brilliant. So, Michael, let's start. I'm not sure I really want to know the answer to this, but what are the statistics about physicians getting disabled? Yeah, it's a, it's always a fun conversation, right? You know, it's almost as fun as the student loan conversation, but the, uh, you know, it's, it's really hard because uh, when we're looking at it, a lot of people don't really see the impact of these statistics when you're looking at people getting disabled because, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people uh, that get disabled don't really share that. It's not really something that they want to be sharing with all of their colleagues that they are disabled and they might be collecting from their disability insurance. But, you know, according to Medscape, uh, they, they actually did a poll and they, they showed that about 25% of people are going to need to use their disability insurance or become disabled throughout their careers. Wow. So one wow. in four actually are going to use that. And so just for context on something like that, you know, I just found it was an interesting statistic on homeowners insurance uh, to try to, you know, put, run a parallel here. <clears throat> if it just, they ran a kind of a survey between 2014 and 2018 one of the insurance organizations, and we'll throw these uh, these references in, in the show notes for you guys, but uh, just for someone to have any sort of homeowner's claim on their homeowner's insurance is 5.6%. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's that much more, it's five times more likely that somebody's going to get disabled in their career than file even one homeowner's insurance claim on there. Yet, if you have a mortgage on your house, it's mandatory that you have homeowner's insurance. And so I just thought that was an interesting parallel, you know, because we don't really think about this. And a lot of times uh, people see disability insurance as optional or just kind of a something that, oh, maybe I should get it. Maybe I shouldn't get it. Um, and as we'll talk about too, it's not always, uh, you have it or you don't. It's a very gray area with what types of policies you have. So, uh, but when you're looking at that, you know, it's really, you know, really difficult uh, to to ignore, you know, those statistics when you're looking at that. And you now even have a family member that, you know, used, used her policy twice throughout her career. And, you know, some of her partners might not have even known <laughs> that, that that was that was the case. And so it's really, really a, a big impact on people's lives and a lot more prevalent than people think. Yeah. So I guess the next question then, Mike, is how do you shop out your coverage? Like, what should we look for? Yeah, sure. So the, the biggest thing, kind of the core thing that people should be looking at when they're shopping out their disability insurance coverage is 
how do they define you being disabled in the contract language? And so if you actually pull up the contract language, that is the first line of defense if you're actually to be disabled. So if you become disabled and you call up your disability insurance company and say, hey, I was disabled, I have the, you know, I have this ailment or whatnot, the first thing that they're going to look at is they're going to pull up your contract and they're going to read verbatim what that contract language says. And if there's any way for them to get out of that, trust me, they will find that way to get out of that. And so we want to make sure that it's very tight legal language around that. And so when we're looking at it on an individual standpoint, when you're looking at coverages, you get to choose what type of coverage uh, definitional language that you want. And it, it, it exists on a, on, a, on a spectrum. So it ranges anything from any occupation all the way up to true own occupation, which is the highest level of coverage. And so what those actually mean, and kind of putting them into context for you know for the listeners on what the what it actually reads in there. When you look at an any occupation definitional language, what it'll read it'll read something to the effect of if you become disabled and cannot work, we will pay out a benefit. So it's it's it seems pretty straightforward if we were in a normal society <laughs> that you know people were, were were doing the right thing here, but unfortunately, it's very vague legal language, and it says nothing about your job. So if they can legally prove that you can work in any job and you can just work, so I mean that's in today's day and age. I mean you can operate a tablet from your bed and you can hold a job, and so it's very difficult to to get paid out on those on those any occupations so those are the definitional language that you see on a lot of the less less cost of insurance policies that you'll see on the market um, you also see that pretty typical with a lot of the group policies that you might have offered through your hospital or your private practice um, they're not usually going to give you a lot of bells and whistles if they're picking up the dime for it so um, that's kind of any occupation and then on the other end of the spectrum we're looking at this true own occupation and so how that reads in the context Contract. It says something to the effect of if you become disabled and cannot do the material and substantial duties of your specified occupation in which you are doing at the time of disability, we will pay out a benefit. So it's a lot tighter legal language around that. And it leaves a lot less outs for the company to not have to pay your claim, essentially. So it's really important that we have that language because it, you know, what it allows for, you know, you guys is OBGYN. So let's say you hurt your hands and you can't operate, you can't catch babies, right? You know, that's that's a big that's a big problem, and you can't you can't do your job. And so if you have a true own occupation policy, uh, if you can't do your job because you hurt your hands, they have to pay you. Period. Now, if you can go and you know go be uh, you know uh, go work on faculty and teach, or go you know you know go work at the medical school where you're doing more kind of academic uh, work, that's great. That's icing on the cake. But as long as that disability persists, you can't use your hands. They still have to continue paying you. So that's where the nickname "double dip" own occupation also come, comes about. So that's because you're you're essentially you can double dip if you have a persistent uh, persistent disability. So so that's that's really the the biggest thing that we have to look at. But if you if you look at the the high risk now because now we know that you know roughly you know twenty five percent of people are going to need their you know need their disability insurance and then pair that up with a really refined definitional language 
it's a very high risk for these insurance companies. And so they're going to make sure that, you know, they are, you know, very selective on that, uh, that, you know, intake uh, of who is getting those policies. But also you would think there's like hundreds of companies that offer this, but there's only six on the market that want to play in that high risk game. So if you don't have a policy with emeritus, standard, principal, guardian, Ohio national or mass mutual, you do not have a true own occupation policy period. So it's really important that you're working with uh, with those six companies. And for those that you know listen or write, uh, read a read from the White Coat Investor, they call it the Big Five companies. Uh, one of the new companies, Ohio National, they just stepped up into the game. Um, so there's now six actually, but they uh, they're um, so they're still now on on the table for for clients. I guess the next question then is that you know assume that we are now into the shopping space for disability insurance. I think one of the most challenging things I remember from my own experience was looking at like the step ladders of how much insurance should I get right now. Um, so can you talk us through a little bit about sort of when we should be getting coverage and how much we should be getting? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, when it comes to when, when to get coverage, you know, facetiously, it's right before you get disabled, right? <laughs> is the, the the best the best time to get it, but uh, we obviously don't know when that is. And so, really, there's there's two big decision makers that you know that drive when when we get that. And the first one is cost, and the second one is your health. So, the cost of these policies are all derived by your age that you are when you secure these. And so. Uh, the earlier you get it, the less expensive the policy is. And these policies typically go up for if you have like 5,000 of coverage, you know, they go up by 10 to $15 per month every year that you get older. So, you know, now if you're talking like getting your policy as like a PGY1 versus a PGY4, you know, now we're talking for the same amount of coverage that person is going to be paying, you know, maybe 60, you know, 40, 60 bucks more in, in, you know, more on a monthly basis for the rest of their career than that person that secured it in there. And so, you know, usually a lot of people are saying, well, oh, I'll just get it in my last, you know, my last year of residency, I'll just wait, um, which makes sense. You know, we obviously don't want our clients to run into credit card debt to, you know, to get their, their coverage early, right? But it's, uh, you know, it's pretty substantial savings if you can look at it, you know, yeah, maybe four years you're paying for the coverage, uh, whereas you wouldn't be. But on the back end, for the next 30 years, maybe of your working career, we have a lower payment. So I'd say the cost is, uh, is, a, is a big driver of that. And especially for females, because females typically pay a substantial margin more than their male counterpart for the same amount of coverage. Um, it's pretty crazy, but just from an actuarial standpoint, uh, you know, us males, we pay, pay more in life insurance as we die sooner, but apparently females, you know, have higher risk of getting disabled throughout their lifetime. And so, um, you know, they might be paying 80, $100, $120 more than their male counterpart for the same amount of coverage. And so it's all the more important that the females look at starting to secure their coverage earlier in their careers so that the costs don't get too excessive for them once they graduate. Um, so that's that's one of the big things is the cost. And then the health is another big one that a lot of people don't really factor into the equation. But you have to go through a health screening process to secure your coverage. And so they grill you with all of these health questions. And they not only look at pre-existing conditions, but they also look at your hobbies. And so if you're, you know, doing you know, some more risky hobbies, you know, I've, I've grew up doing the martial arts, right? I have a martial arts exclusion on my own disability insurance policy, right? And so the, how it works in disability insurance realm 
is that they don't, they don't change the price for how risky you are or not. They just cut things out. So they say, if you have a pre-existing condition of, you know, a knee injury or a you know, uh, some sort of illness that you had when you were a kid, you know, they'll just cut that out of the policy. So if you ever have a disability because of your right knee, you know, we're not going to pay out, uh, but anything else will cover. So the the later that you're never going to be younger and healthier than you are right now, right? And so the the, the longer you, you wait, the, the more exclusions that we typically see start coming up on the policies. And, you know, kind of, I think the industry says that there's like about 40% of people will get you know, some sort of uh, exclusion or just outright denied from coverage. So it's a very stringent process that they take you through to make sure that, because obviously they're potentially on the hook for millions of dollars. And so they don't want to let people in. They have uh, kind of adverse selection, you know, uh, guidelines to make sure that they don't bring in people. And so they're very quick to do that. And um, and so it's, it's also really important that, you know, we see a lot of uh, mental health related issues that come up and, you know, so so many of our clients. You know, it's 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 more more often that we we see someone who has taken some sort of antidepressant or something like that throughout their medical school to to make it through make it through uh, you know medical school is is brutal and so it's very common that they're very harsh on that stuff and so it's not to say that they're going to deny you if you have that um, but it makes you know it, it, we have to look, we have to factor that into the equation so uh, we definitely want to make sure that we're we're looking at that when we're looking at it so. The um, and then to your to your second point is, is you know how much coverage to get is you know that's that's another one that um, it really kind of depends on your individual situation you know when you're in practice you know we typically recommend that you have at least enough to cover your base expenses plus your student loan payments you know whatever that is you know we, we want to at least have that so that if you were to you know become disabled we at least be able to continue our you know our, our, our base expenses. Um, other folks might try to get as much as they possibly can based off of their income, which is totally, you know, totally reasonable, but it gets expensive. And so, you know, if we're trying to, you know, let's say you're bringing in $20,000 a month, you know, first of all, they're probably only going to let you get maybe, you know, sixteen dollars to $18,000 per month of coverage if you're bringing in that much and don't have any other coverage in force. But it, you might be paying over a thousand bucks a month for for that much coverage, and so what is is this the plan or is this you know the the, the backup to the to the plan you know and so that, that's what we got to make sure that we're we're putting in context when we're looking at that. But while you're in residency, you only have access to up to five thousand per month of coverage. Um, when you're in your last year, you get access to a little bit more, um, and so it's typically more than our you know our resident clients are making on a monthly basis uh, as they're going through. And it's funny because you guys are actually the only demographic that they allow to get more than uh, than you're making because they know that you're incentivized to finish your training because you'll make more money that way. Um, so they do allow you, but it allows us to kind of play the game to secure your rates uh, in more amount of coverage at a lower age bracket, um, which is which is helpful. So, uh, but I mean, if you're in your first year of training, you don't need to get the the full five thousand of coverage because there's there's ways that you can increase that in the future. But at least getting it to knock out that health risk of something coming up to guarantee that you never have to go through the health screening process and maybe securing twenty five hundred coverage when you're uh, when you're starting out might be might be a good fit.
Well, thank you, Mike. Um, and as someone who did get disability insurance with one of those companies, I can confirm that they're very strict about those criteria and will send someone to your house and like weigh you and make sure that you say you are who you say you are. Um, so, I mean, obviously, other than, you know, quitting my skydiving hobby, um, what are some of the things that, you know, um, we need to do before we apply for disability insurance? Yeah. So I think this is a really important question because a lot of people, once they're like, okay, I need disability insurance, they just go and apply. But it's really, you know, they're, whenever you apply with a company and they give you an offer, that goes on your permanent insurance record. So that whenever you apply elsewhere, that's, that's, forever on your on, on your record. And so it's really important that you, you know, you chat with your financial professional to make sure that, you know, you're sharing any pre-existing conditions, you're sharing with them, you know, any risky hobbies that you might be involved in. And, you know, working with someone who is able to actually shop the market for you and maybe have access to these different underwriters. So like for, for our clients, we can just, you know, we, we work with all six of these companies. And so we can reach out to them and say, hey, Hypothetically speaking, if we had a 31-year-old female uh, OBGYN that um, has this pre-existing condition, how would you underwrite that? So that we can see theoretically how they would underwrite it, because some companies are going to look at it differently. And so if you do have something like that, make sure you're shopping it out. Because if you go with one company and then they deny you, well, now it's going to be really hard to take that and say, hey, oh, I was denied at this other company, but will you guys take me? You know, that's that's going to be a little bit of an uphill battle. So making sure that you know you're you're Sharing with you know with your financial professional all of these different things, and that they're able to have communication ahead of time if there are any concerns. So you know that that's one of the the bigger things. Um, and then also a lot of people aren't aware of uh, what are called guaranteed standard issue programs that they have for for various uh, universities. And so um, so I, I run a couple of these. Uh, they're called GSI programs, guaranteed standard issue. And what they're able to do is uh, you know I run it for University of Arizona too. Tucson campus and then the University of New Mexico, um, resident, all the residents and fellows. What we're able to do is, given that we have a, a large number of, of clients in, in those universities, we were able to work with the graduate medical education to get a census of all of the residents and fellows in the university. And so for UNM, let's say University of New Mexico, there's like 640 residents and fellows. And so what we're able to do is we were able to go to all six of those companies and say, hey, would any of you guys take on the risk of the law of large numbers of saying that, hey, if we get enough volume of people going through the university, can you not underwrite the individual? And so one of the companies, Emeritus, um, took us up on it. And so we run the program for those two universities. And so now everybody that's at U, U of A, Tucson, and uh, at University of New Mexico, they don't have to go through a health screening process to get their coverage. And so, but if they apply with another company and they get an exclusion or get denied, it removes their ability to qualify for our program. <laughs> so it's really making sure that, you know, does your university have one of these set up? Because that could be incredibly, you know, impactful for you. Um, and you don't want to, you know, find out about it after you've already applied. And so make sure you kind of, you know, research online, you know, talk to keep an eye out for emails. A lot of these programs, like for, you know, the ones that we run, they're not official benefits of the university because of all the legal red tape around this stuff. And so they can't technically 
uh, you know, they can't market this for us. And so it's it, just because they can't market it for us doesn't mean it's available. It's not available to you. And so if, you know, if our clients don't know about that and they apply elsewhere, it could be really detrimental for them where, you know, so I have some clients that, you know, might have, you know, pretty sub substantial medical conditions that are still able to get coverage regardless. And um, the other big thing is that those come those coverages um, also come with additional discounts. So like the ones that, that we run and uh, they're all across the country, these programs, these GSIs um, have unisex discounts. And so these unisex discounts mean that females now get to pay close to what males are paying for that. And so they're saving, you know, average, you know, 60, 80 bucks, you know, a month compared to what those standard female rates are. So it's hands down the least expensive option. So please don't, uh, don't forget to look around to see if your university offers that. And if anybody has questions, you can reach out and we, we can, you know, see if, if your university does, does have one as well. So. But those are those are some big things that I want to make sure that people are uh, are going through though beforehand. Thank you again, Michael, for going through all of this with disability insurance, especially because this is kind of the season for it, right? You no know, match day just happened. People are going to be moving into residency programs now. They're going to be inundated by their universities with all sorts of new benefit options with disability insurance potentially being one of those things. Um, but we're so happy that we're able to get this out to residents, get the word out. If there are other questions that come up, how should our listeners get in touch? Yeah, sure. I mean, the easiest way is just to sh shoot me an email. My email is michael.foley at northstarfinancial.com. Uh, or just Google Michael Foley Northstar and reach out that way. Uh, we'll put some links in the in the show notes as well so that you guys can just even book a meeting right on my calendar or reach out. Um, and, you know, if you guys are just interested in just getting a comparison of the six uh, options for you, you can just shoot me an email and we'll have our team run, run those different options for you. And sometimes, you know, if like a, a group of a whole class just wants to do it and we can get all their information and then you know just run it for so everybody can have a comparison and stuff too so feel free to reach out and uh, we're, we're happy to help guide you through this process well thank you so much michael for again for coming onto the podcast and giving us all this good information which you know i feel like i wish i had had this when i was 26 and starting off residency no well thank you guys so much for having me these are always always fun love doing these with you guys all right. So that does it for today. Once again, this is Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. All right, guys. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of our other episodes, go ahead and go onto iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us online on Twitter at Creogs Over Coffee 1, on Instagram and Facebook at Creogs Over Coffee. Or if you love the show, head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Coffee. Send us some love and we'll send you some swag. For show notes for this show and all of our other shows, and also if you want to get in touch with uh, Michael Foley or even schedule a consultation with him, you can find his information on our website, www.creogsrivercoffee.com. You'll also find the Rosh View question of the week there. Finally, if you have a question for us, um, email us, creogsrivercoffee at gmail.com.